Hello and welcome to The Natural Evolution, produced by Rebel Health Tribe, a radio show focused on providing you with inspiration, education, and tools for true healing and transformation. I'm Michael, and I'll be your guide on this adventure as together we explore the very nature of the healing journey. And we're live, and this is a a part two episode. So uh, before we get going, Dr. Chris, thank you for coming back. Uh, Had a great chat last time, and it was... To me, it was one of the more personal and um, like impactful episodes that we recorded in the first season. So thank you so much. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Yeah. And for those who, who didn't catch it yet, go back to episode eight in season one. It's episode eight of the podcast is with Dr. Christina Bjorndahl, who is an authority in the treatment of mental illnesses such as depression, anxiety, bipolar disorders, and eating disorders using a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual approach. She's overcome many mental health challenges herself, which we talked about quite a bit in the the previous episode, and we'll get a little bit into that today. Dr. Chris is a gifted speaker and best-selling author who's shared her wellness philosophy with platforms such as the Jenny McCarthy Show, the International Bipolar Foundation, and many health summits and docu-series. And... Uh, she's recognized as a top ND to follow by two independent organizations and her book Beyond the Label is a comprehensive guide to naturopathic mental health. And the reason you're back is because we didn't really even get into that. So um, we spent the whole first episode really just sharing our kind of mutual experiences with uh, lifelong depression and suicide. And um, it's, it's, it's quite a heavy episode. I'll throw that out there. But I think for anybody who has struggled with uh, those things in their life, it would be a good listen, or for those who have people in their lives who have struggled, uh, which that would probably qualify just about everyone. Um, it's a it's a really candid discussion that I think um, you'd be best served going back to check out. So again, that's episode eight. And then today, uh, we, we didn't get into like the healing arc of the story. It was mostly just the depression and, and the suicide attempts and the, and like really the struggle. And today we're going to talk more about how you kind of found your way through and found naturopathic medicine and how naturopathic medicine ties into mental health and mental health challenges and, and where its role is in the greater approach of treatment to to mental health. So uh, today's going to be a bit more positive and uplifting and, and educational. And um, I, I'm excited to have that discussion. So I guess let's just just jump right in. Now, you had a different career before, which was in something finance, right? Or marketing yeah. or sales? Yeah. Or yeah. Something. Well, yeah. Marketing in finance. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Wow. That's like a double whammy of things that are stressful. So, uh, and what was, so you'd had, and we can just do a quick, quick recap of what we did in the previous episode. Cause like if people are listening right now, they're probably not going to jump back, start that one, come back. So um, if you want to just really briefly bring us to your tipping point or your switch point from when this isn't going to work anymore, whatever was your like light bulb switch. Aha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The abbreviated yeah. version to get us there. Yeah. So I was working in the, in the investment management world, but I was wearing that mask most days that, okay, I'm out, I'm okay on the outside, but I wasn't doing very well on the inside. And, and I was taking five psychotropic medications to manage my mental health. And so the diagnoses that I had were bipolar disorder, type one, depression, anxiety. And then I also had this eating disorder, which was kind of on the side burner. So the tipping point for me, not to start off on a, on a, you know, on a down note, but really was this suicide attempt that I'd had. And when I opened my eyes and I came out of the coma, I was pretty choked that I was still here. And so I realized that, okay, I need to figure out another way to navigate this, this journey of life. And the taking all these medications that I was taking wasn't really getting me to this place of joy. Um, So that's when a friend suggested that I uh, see a naturopathic doctor. And there was this Canadian health food sort of trade show that I was going to, I went to, and I saw a flyer about um, 
a public forum for mental health regain, like regain your mental health, I think it was. And so I went to this and I learned about nutrition and this term called orthomolecular medicine. And then I went to see this psychiatrist who prescribed primarily supplements to help people. Um, so I started his protocol and I carried that along with all the medication that I was taking. And then I had my first year where I felt like depression was lifted. I felt free from that for the first time in at least 15 years. Uh, so I knew that there was something to it. And, and I know that there was lots of people struggling. And so that's when I started thinking about, well, what else could I be doing and, and looked into how could I help people in the same way that I had been helped. Once somebody has been in depression long enough or with some sort of, I don't want to call it a mental illness or condition, but like you've been in one way of experiencing life for a really long time. And then all of a sudden it's a little bit different. Uh, it's really bizarre. <laughs> like it's, it's yeah. disorienting. It's ungrounding. It's like, what is this? I, I describe it as like my life kind of went from black and white to color a little bit. And it was that big of an adjustment of like, oh, wow, I don't feel like doom. So I can imagine that was quite an eye-opening, you know, experience. Orthomolecular medicine, I'm familiar with the term. I believe there's a Dr. Anderson, Paul yeah. Anderson. Oh, Paul. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I associate orthomolecular medicine with that guy. And I know very little else. Uh, is it like functional medicine is an umbrella term that would describe pretty much any integrative approach, I would think at this point. Yeah. Um, can you give like a brief of like, what is orthomolecular medicine? Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it was coined by Linus Pauling in the 1960s and he won two Nobel Peace Prizes. He did a lot of work on vitamin C. But orthomolecular just means the right molecule for your individual needs. And so it's basically supporting the, the nutritional environment of the body for whatever that condition you may be addressing. So from like with Paul Anderson, he I think is more in a cancer person. So he'd be looking more at the vitamin C piece. And for the mental health, it's more looking at the higher doses of the B vitamins and often higher doses are prescribed, but that doesn't always have to be the case. So some people have the misunderstanding or misperception that it's, you know, mega dosing. It's not, it's not necessarily. So it's just basically making sure that you're supporting the individual environment from a nutritional perspective with the right uh, molecules or uh, supplements that they need. Okay. So the high dose vitamin C that I've read about for like certain types of cancers, or that came out with the recent pandemic, people were using high dose vitamin C that kind of stemmed from orthomolecular medicine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's where I got on the, the little bit of the bandwagon that I'm on. I think that's how I found it. So, okay. So you, you had this experience, you started taking these supplements mixed with like, you didn't stop the medications. You're doing the supplements and the medications. And then you thought light bulb, maybe there's a thing I can do professionally. Cause you knew that that wasn't your jam, what you were doing, right? Like that was not, that's right. Didn't want to do that. Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't want to do that. I really uh, found that environment quite soul sucking. And, uh, and I remember that I, you know, asking myself this question, if money didn't matter, what would I be doing with my life? And the answer that cut me, I mean, it wasn't like I just, you know, asked this question once and then had asked, you know, had it acted on the one answer on a whim. Like I asked this question repeatedly over the course of a year. And the same answer kept coming up, you know, go back to school, study orthomolecular medicine and learn how to help people in the way that you you've been helped. That that voice, which I think, you know, was coming from my intuition or my soul or my spirit, if you will, was be quickly squashed by the voice of fear saying what, you know, you can't do that. You can't quit your job. You know, you, you've got this really highly coveted job. How old were you at that time? Approximately 32. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I did. Uh, and, and uh, it, you know, I had to go back to high school because I didn't do the science prerequisites the first time I did more of an arts yeah. degree. So back to high school, back to university. And then uh, and that's then a daunting, that's a daunting road to look at. I had to do some similar because yeah. my bachelor's was in history and education and my master's is in exercise physiology. And I didn't have, um, 
a handful of the prerequisites and it was like, oh man, so I got to go to school just to be able to go to school. (laughs) (laughs) So cheers for you. Cheers to you for going through with it. If there's anybody out there listening that's been resisting doing something they feel drawn to doing because they see that, here's two people who have done it. Yeah. And the time goes by faster than you think it will. <laughs> it does. And, and I think when you're doing something that's in concert with your soul's intention, then the universe opens the doors and, you know, it's, an, it's, it's not as, you know, there's not a lot of struggles on the path, right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, it was like super easy. It, it was, yeah. you know, it was not, not an so easy. You did the prereqs, you went back and yeah. back to school, then, then the naturopathic uh, doctorate program. Yeah. And so you finished that sometime around what then like 37, 38? I was like, no, 39. 39. Yeah. I don't know how long your medicine program was, but it's, so you're about 40 and you're in a new career, new profession. Now during that, that time of in school and going to naturopathic school, I'm guessing more things happened than just, uh, going to school regarding your, your depression and your mental health. Like, did you make some more changes? You had done the supplements. You were still on four or five meds. You said like, mm-hmm. um, what happened yeah. with all of that while you were going yeah. through that? Yeah. At, at some point I then tapered off the, uh, antidepressants and the anti-anxiolytics that I was taking. And I maintained taking a mood stabilizer, um, but much lower, like a much lower dose. And that that's an important, uh, a piece that I want people to understand is that you know, it's not always the goal that there's no medication. You know, it's not necessarily this or that form of mes- medicine, but it's this and that. And you can have less medication, which makes your life a lot more manageable, often from a side effect perspective. So, um, so I tapered off quite a few and was just left with the, the one uh, mood stabilizer, which, which I have to say, I wasn't a so maybe this isn't the best thing to say on air, but I wasn't super compliant with it. So for many months and periods at a time, I would just be taking the nutraceutical support. Um, but the interesting thing that came out of, of my studies was we had to analyze our diets in second year nutrition. And one of the things that I was deficient in from a nutrient perspective was tryptophan. Probably. All I know is that it's in Turkey because people say that's why you get sleepy after Thanksgiving dinner. Right. So I know what tryptophan is and I know what it does, but I don't know a lot of food sources. Uh, it's mostly animal foods, right? Yeah. And so I had been a vegetarian and I was, so I was deficient in this one. So it's an, it's an essential amino acid. So what that means is you can't make it. None of us, nobody can make it. We all have to get that from our diets. And the key thing about it is it goes on in the body to get converted to serotonin. And serotonin is the main neurotransmitter that's often implicated in depression. That's the whole reason the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRI medications were created was to increase serotonin. So it was really eye-opening to me um, that I'd experienced all this depression and I wasn't, you know, I had some holes and big cracks in my nutritional foundation which the supplements helped to fill the crack. But I think if we want to talk about root cause, we really have to make sure that we are asking people, what are you eating or getting an understanding of what they're eating? Because if you're deficient in tryptophan, then really me taking those supplements, if I went off of those supplements, then I probably would have ended up back in the pit of depression again. It's no different, right? It's, it's no different than taking an SSRI. They call them supplements, not replacements. So like, uh, I've run into that a lot with clients myself in the past that were like, they wanted everything that they needed to come from supplements Mm -hmm. and didn't want to, you know, change the food or eat, you know, differently or whatever. And it's like, well, I'm getting it in this. And I'm like, yeah, but do you want to keep taking $500 a month of supplements and get all your nutrients? And like, even if you do that, you're missing cofactors and you're missing, you know, so, uh, so you had to make some pretty big dietary changes and you'd been a vegetarian for a long time. Well, so that's when I did start to switch back and have a little bit of protein again, like I'm not a vegetarian now. Did you notice a shift right away or Oh gosh, I can't, I, I can't remember. 
okay i can't remember now because this is like you know yeah 20 wow. yeah it's a while ago now we won't, we won't date ourselves yeah <laughs> um but uh yeah so you made some dietary changes mm-hmm. added to the supplements started tapering down or off a lot of the medications so that probably just reconfirmed or reaffirmed that you were on the right path kind of you know both professionally going to do what you're doing but also like taking care of yourself Hey, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you head over to rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit, that's K-I-T, and grab the RHT Starter Kit, which includes a sampler of four free videos from our professional masterclasses and webinars, the RHT Healthy Sleep Guide, the Wellness Vault Coupon Book, which will save you money on all of our favorite health-related tools and resources, a professional product guide, and a coupon for 15% off your first order in our shop. That's rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit, K-I-T, and you'll get all that delivered right away. Also, if you're on Facebook, we've got a fun, engaging, and supportive group over there as well with thousands of health seekers just like yourself. Just search for Rebel Health Tribe and you'll find us. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. Now, how was your mental health during that many years of school while you were making that transition? Was it yeah, it, it was good. I mean, there were some moments of definitely of like the stress piece played a role and impacted me, not actually from the depression perspective, but actually from the other perspective. So I, I, um, I ended up actually having a manic episode, um, which was, we don't need to really get into it. But so that that was more the concern was sort of ramping up versus ramping down. Interesting. Okay. And diet supplements, um, were there any lifestyle types of things that you learned about in school or that you started to shift at that point uh, as well? Yeah. So the other big piece was learning basically mindfulness and um, learning how to pay attention to your thoughts. And so that you're, you know, you can learn to manage your mind. So you're not at the mercy of it. And so that was something for me that was really important because I'd been quite um, immersed and absorbed with my thoughts versus being able to kind of have this more bird's eye view, if you will, and separate myself from my thoughts. So that was a big piece as well. Where did you learn the mindfulness practices? Did you have somebody teach you or books or? There was a counseling portion of our curriculum. And then I worked with a naturopathic doctor who, yeah, this was his trained in mindfulness. Yeah, that's brilliant. And doctors should have counseling training. I, I know, I think most naturopathic programs in the States have some of it. Uh, I don't believe any MD programs do not that they'd have time to actually utilize it as they see patients for about six minutes at a time, usually in a normal appointment, but um. I think that that's an essential part, you know, when, and we mentioned this in the first episode, both of us have gone through uh, Gabor Mate's compassionate inquiry training, and he was a physician who transitioned to doing more therapy kind of work, and um, he had to self-teach himself, uh, because he didn't have people to refer to or anything, and he said that, you know, it's astonishing to him that doctors are not trained in this, because people come in, and like, you need to be able to relate to them, you need to be able to understand them, and then you need to be able to instruct or suggest or recommend to each person in a way that that person will receive. Uh, so lots of skills there that I think a lot of medical professionals miss out on. But the the mindfulness piece is, is huge. That's been really impactful for me too. And I can tell that when I don't feel good, I'm caught in those loops. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, we think we are our thoughts. Like we don't realize that we're outside of those yeah those loops and those patterns and the the way i've been taught it's like observing the thoughts is no different than observing a smell or something you're looking at or a taste or something on your skin it's just like another sense there's some buddhist traditions that actually call it our sixth sense is thought and that really helped me kind of realize like oh i can step back Mm -hmm. from this and like oh i'm having these really anxious thoughts right now that's (laughs) I yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and what's important too, is this other, like connecting that to this other piece, which is that psychoneuroimmunology piece mm-hmm. that basically is a big fancy word to say that your thoughts affect 
your physiology or the hormones that get produced. So it's, it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg problem for some people, right? So you might have a, a negative thought and, and then that creates a neuropeptide and then that neuropeptide affects the hormone that gets produced, which then affects how you feel. Yeah. And the right. stress, it gets a, yeah. it produces, you know, and yeah, or it can suppress immune system or it can blunt neurotransmitters that like, yeah. And it's, but then the other way, if those things happen, then it can lead to more uh, challenging thoughts, right? Like it's kind of like a, a feedback yeah. loop that yeah. needs to be disrupted. Yeah. And I know for me, uh, I think I was really resistant to this because I felt like if you had said to me, oh, hey, Chris, uh, you know, change your thoughts, change your life, um, I would probably have rolled my eyes at you and walked out of the room, right? Because I, yeah. I felt like people were implying that I was intentionally causing myself to suffer, you know, on purpose. And I really felt like I, I was, like I said, I felt like I was, I couldn't, I felt like I was one with the thoughts and I couldn't, I couldn't differentiate myself from them so I want people to really understand that you don't have to believe every thought that you have but understand that the thoughts that you do have affect the physiology which affects how you feel so if you can shift to a thought you don't have to believe it but shift to a thought that's more supportive of you and recognize that the guy often say this about suicidal thoughts that okay if a suicidal thought comes your way that's a red flag that just in that instant, in that moment, you're not being very kind to yourself. I mean, because that is the ultimate worst, you know, crappy thing to think. Yeah. So, and you can follow that thought if you want all the way down the garden path, or you can just stop and recognize, okay, that's, you know, that's not a great thought. So what's something else in this moment? You don't have to believe it, but at least think it. Because if you think it, that physiological cascade will be different within you, which will ultimately, over time, shift how you feel. Oh. Yeah, I, I was also an eye roller at those uh, statements because the people, the books and the th they meant well. And it's true to an extent. Like it's, I think it's more nuanced than just like, oh, think happy thoughts. Like I think it's because then yes. And because the thing that you're turning away from is there for a reason. And like, it needs to be addressed at a deeper level of like, why do I keep having this thought? Mm -hmm. But so it's not like think a happier thought and pretend like that go doesn't exist and it goes away forever, which I think I see quite a bit of actually in the spiritual communities and things of that nature where they're just like, oh, no, that's not a thing. I'm going to go over here and be happy. Yeah. That's not going to work. Like you still need to go over there and figure that out. But yeah, in the moment you're saying like switch the thought switches the physiological cascade. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you're right. If it depending on, because a lot of us have trauma, right? A mm. lot of us have these really deep, seated and sometimes not really understood on the you know the level of the of the conscious mind like some of these things especially if they've happened when you were before the age of yeah. one like you're also adopted right that's right yeah me too and we, we talked about that in the first episode and that would be something that's pre-conscious memory conscious memory for sure right yeah. and and not not always do we you know you can't solve problems on the level of the conscious mind always and so that's where being able to, you know, move into the subconscious mind is, is really helpful. And, and that's where I think therapeutic approaches like compassionate inquiry can get into that mm -hmm. to some extent. Yeah. And so, okay. So there's mindfulness, there's supplements, there's weaning off some of the meds, you're feeling good, you get through school. Did you have the intention of finishing school and then primarily focusing on mental health? Yeah, that was the goal. So you knew you knew like from day one, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Which made school a bit challenging, right? Because you had to study everything, right? Yeah. So I was like, I don't really want to learn about eczema. I don't really want to <laughs> learn about asthma, right? Like, I'm like, I just, you know, so I, yeah, I had that one intention only. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And um, I guess I'd like to show you wrote the when was your book published? 2017 now. Okay, so about four years ago. So sometime between when you started practicing in the book. So when you first finished school, you were not um, 
a well-known resource on mental health and naturopathic medicine. So you built your practice up and that was what your primary focus was. And um, I guess I'm, I'm curious over the years you've worked and we talked before we went on air about how busy your practice is. So I know I can do some math and probably project out that you've worked with quite a few people mm-hmm. uh, in the last 15, 20 years, however long that's been. Um, mostly mental health, uh, I would guess, is the reason people come to you. So what, I had a few questions. What are the biggest you know, needle movers? Now I know everybody is unique. And so the one recommendation isn't going to be the cookie cutter for everybody, but like a few big things that really you've seen really move the needle for a lot of people that they come to you and they're not doing this or they're, they are doing something that you ask them to have them stop or you shift diet or something like what's, what are a few of like the big heavy hitter needle movers that you've seen in your practice? Mm -hmm. So, well, one of the big ones is, is the nutrition piece. A lot of people, I mean, I know this is going to sound super simple, but a lot of people are drinking way too much pop and way too much coffee and not enough water. And as simple as that sounds, it really is. I see it in every single patient. So just shifting that alone is, is especially for those with anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you have anxiety, really coffee's a, Not I, I've I've shifted over the years. I lean more towards anxious instead of depressed the last several years. And I've noticed I can tell immediately if I overdo it with caffeine. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, I don't feel good. Now I'm anxious. And <laughs> I, I run for the theanine yes. um, uh, supplement. Pro tip, over caffeinated, take some theanine. <laughs> uh, it, can, it can help blunt that. But okay, so switching something simple as far as... Uh, Sodas, sodas and coffee and things like that versus water. Yeah. Um, it warms my heart to hear you say pop. I get made fun of here in California for that. I'm from Chicago and we say pop, but I've, I've like forced it out of me to where soda comes out naturally now. So I'm, I, I just oh. smile every time I hear somebody say pop. Cause if you say pop around here, everyone looks at you like they don't know what you're talking about. They think you're talking about your dad. Yeah. So, okay. So switching beverage to water, which seems overly simple, but is something people could do. What else do you got that you've seen? And the other piece is making one meal a day. So your plate. Mm -hmm. So if you divide your plate in half, making 50% of your plate vegetables and the other, and then a 25%, you know, complex carb and 25% protein. Again, I'm not talking about if people are going to be specific around, oh, I'm doing paleo or I'm doing keto or I'm doing. There's a general. Rule, eating, rule eating vegetables drinking water yeah people and it does this sounds super super basic but i would have clients come to me who wanted to run all these labs and do all these complex protocols and take all these supplements and when i looked at those kind of fundamental things they were all out of whack right yeah yeah some of the basic those foundational pieces right and then of course encouraging those tryptophan forming foods and wanting to make sure everybody's eating them and again that's you know protein and if you're a vegetarian then it's going to be avocado cashews quinoa peanuts uh oatmeal those are the main oh, avocados have tryptophan mm-hmm. yeah oh interesting yeah. and uh and i mean dairy just again dairies can be controversial for people but dairy um has tryptophan so cottage cheese yogurt um so those would be the three main things so 50 percent of your plate vegetables shifting the water like increasing what so water minimum half your body weight in ounces that's your minimum um the amount minimum amount most people aren't at the minimum and if you're having coffee you gotta increase that by two cups for every uh eight ounces of because of the diuretic effect yeah okay so hydration and nutrient dense foods and foods yeah. that are specific to tryptophan. Yeah, those would be the three main. Um, and if people are looking for like a roadmap, I have this other little book called The Essential Diet, Eating for Mental Health, and it plots out like two week eating plan. Oh, it just, cool. you know, uh, gives you is the that a physical book or is it something yeah. to download or what? It, yeah, okay. It's a physical book, yeah, physical book. Okay. I think it's on Amazon, probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you search here on Amazon, you'll probably find both of the books. Yeah. Uh, so the book itself, was that your idea? Did enough people nudge you to write that, that you finally decided to do it? No, I'd say it came more from me, I think, because, you yeah. know, especially with bipolar disorder, you, you get the message and I, including myself that 
the only option for you is medication for the rest of your life, because usually you get diagnosed in, in your early 20s. And by the way, by the time you're 60, your kidneys are going to fail from the meds. Yeah. Right? So let's like, talk about that a little. Out. We've we've only talked about depression and anxiety, really. How does bipolar differ? Is there different? Um, like if somebody comes to you and they're, you know, suffer from depression mostly versus bipolar, are there any like little tips or lifestyle or dietary or things that relate mostly more so to bipolar? Is it a similar approach generally benefits mental health as a whole? Yeah, I would say the new, so similar approach because it, de it depends really on the individual. If that individual spends most of their time in depression and anxiety, versus how many manic episodes that they've had um and so the the biggest difference between the two is managing this the stress and the sleep piece of the puzzle so with a depressive disorder i mean when you're depressed you can have it can be either end of the spectrum you could be sleeping too much and having a really hard time motivating yourself to get out of bed and getting started with the day uh, or you can just not sleep you can have it suffer from insomnia um, but the difference between somebody who has just dep a depression picture and bipolar disorder is if you don't sleep with bipolar disorder, you're, the chances of you flipping into a psychotic or manic episode, that will happen. And it won't happen to the person who has depression. They will, you know, they will not experience psychosis. Interesting. So the, the sleep and circadian piece becomes even larger than for, for people with bipolar who are looking to manage the manic episodes. Yeah. And then the stress management, like the stress piece, because a lot of times, you know, the, the allure of mania, it's very enticing and you feel euphoric and you have lots of ideas and you feel do all kinds of stuff, yeah, do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And, um, but yeah. And then some people, you know, get into difficulty financially because they, you know, they don't make the best decisions financially, yeah. right? Buy cars or. Yeah. 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 Impulse, impulse control. Impulse. Yeah. yeah, out the window. Yeah. Uh, okay. Devastating, devastating to people. So, um, so the biggest differences for me is managing that sleep piece because and the stress. This theory has never been proven by. So this was by my um, original psychiatrist, Dr. Abraham Hoffer. He put forward this theory in the 1950s about it was called the adrenochrome hypothesis. But basically, the idea was that um, with psychosis or mania. It's, it's like the body is just overproducing adrenaline or, or cortisol and the, they can't, they can't break it down fast enough. So it's almost like if, if you were to put too much gas in the engine of a vehicle, it's going to flood the car and it's just going to stall out. Similar idea with too much adrenochrome floating through the coursing through somebody's veins. It just builds up. The body can't clear it and it pushes you into psychosis. But the key is to not overproduce it in the first place, which is then managing the sleep and the stress. I see. And so your book implies, and from what I've read and from our conversations is that we're using labels here. Like we're saying uh, depression or we're saying anxiety or we're saying OCD that people can identify with that because they've been probably given a diagnosis or told they have this or that thing, but uh, you're not a big fan of labels. <laughs> and um Maybe you could share just a little bit about why that is or what, what you see, mm -hmm. why you see labels to be potentially counterproductive or harmful yeah. in some way. Yeah, I feel like the label, it does serve a purpose initially to help explain what might be going on with somebody. And it helps to then match perhaps the medication that could be useful but it doesn't really explain what, what's going on with somebody. And, and also, I think a lot of people get stuck in the belief that they are that and that they're not going to move from that to this place of wellness. So, you know, depression, and I, I it's my view that depression and anxiety and psychosis and, you know, obsessive thoughts, they're all happening for a particular reason to guide you on a soul level back to you. And when we medicate that away, it's like we're interrupting the process and sort of um, disconnecting the person from themselves. 
Now I'm not saying like, I know it's very difficult to be, to be in a depression. I, I, I get that, but I think that we want to shift the line of questioning. And I, you know, you, you, I think alluded to this or may have said this earlier in the conversation, shifting it from what's this here to teach me and, and away from, okay, this is something I have to disown or get rid of. And so I just really want to encourage people to continue to look within and to understand that you, you know, again, those labels are there initially to help you and to perhaps guide a particular treatment plan, but that's not all of you. And you can move beyond that to this, this place of wellness. Beautiful. And the labels, like the diagnoses, these are blanket terms. Like it's depression. You could have 20 people in front of you that are diagnosed with depression and their symptoms and the way that they experience it could be pretty wide ranging, right? Like it's, it's kind of like autism. And then, you know, you can have 50 kids in front of you and each one of them is going to have different strengths, different weaknesses, different presentations, different challenges, different everything. And we use these blanket terms to describe it and then provide blanket treatments. And then it's part of who you are then. Like I'm, I'm Michael, I'm OCD, or I have this, or I have this, or this. And we start to identify it like with ourselves and, um, it's, you, you mentioned, or I was going to ask, uh, sometimes the labels can be helpful. And for me, the one that has, and it was through studying with Gabor because of his work in this field, was realizing that I have rather severe ADD. Mm-hmm. And having a label put on that, or like, it was like a light bulb. Like, I, I listened to his book, I think it's called Scattered Minds, right? And at the beginning or near the beginning, there's like a here are some really common symptoms of ADD that adults don't even realize, you know, are this. And it was like 30 things they labeled off. And I actually stopped it, put it back, went slow through them. And I could honestly say that I have all but two of whatever the list was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, you know, like I didn't even, and it, it made me see myself so much differently and previous me. like as a kid and growing up and in school, like the challenges, it shifted everything to where I understood that, especially after going through the book and learning like how that happens and how it forms and how the brain is developed differently in kids in certain situations. And it really allowed me to have so much more compassion for myself. And, and now I get it, the ADD and ADHD, it's the same thing. Like that's not who I am. And it can present a whole bunch of different ways, but just having that realization that that's what's going on and that's what's been going on the whole time and that everything I've done has been with that going on and I'm like wow it's pretty amazing I was able to get through some of those situations like I have it really really severely and so now I've been able to start learning ways to work with it instead of against it because ADD and ADHD have some superpowers too totally yeah and so it's um that was impactful for me Like I try not to identify with the label, but the label itself was like, oh, wow, this is a condition. I fit all the boxes. This Mm -hmm. makes sense. This is why I couldn't sit still. This is why I didn't pay attention to this. This is why if I have to do something and I'm anxious about it a little, like if it's something I don't feel really confident doing, I get really anxious and scattered and all over the place. And then just check, 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 check. And I felt seen. We've talked about depression and anxiety and bipolar, uh, ADD, ADHD respond to a lot of the similar um, yeah. modifications. They do more of an emphasis on dopamine support yeah. this uh, serotonin. And so that's a dopamine derived from phenylalanine and tyrosine. Yeah. So that piece can play a role. It's sort of 50-50, I would say, for... Um, medication and or like the supplement approach i mean mm-hmm. lots of nutrients and and the diet piece if people are listening and they have children i i would always start with the nutrition piece with children mm-hmm. and building in um these the tyrosine and magnesium and zinc and you know the the yeah, yeah. you know all these cofactors that are required for that particular pathway um but in some cases starting medication can be like life-changing for people yeah i have a friend who just started taking uh I don't know if it's Ritalin or something like a few weeks ago and she's posting daily updates okay. on, on her like life 
like life as someone medicated who has ADHD. And then it's like, I could do this and this and this and this and this. And like, she was a mess before uh, with all of those types of things. So um, Gabor talks about that too and says, you know, I'm not opposed to medication for certain conditions, but for kids, he always recommends trying to go because we don't know. We don't know how that affects their brain development and, and everything else. And now the statistics on the percentage of kids in this country that are medicated is pretty eye-opening to say the least and I would have been one of them right like if I was young now they would have me on meds by the time I was like seven I'm sure and we don't know then they're more likely to be on other meds and other things like it it starts a cascade so um we try to take a pretty balanced approach around here with rebel health tribe and the things I do like I am not 100% anti-conventional medicine and things like that. Like steroids saved Mira's life basically during her last flare. And there's times where certain things are necessary. So I've thought about it. I've tiptoed around it. Like I've noticed a lot of things though now that I feel a lot better if I do or don't do, or so I'm still kind of there, but uh, the dopamine, we did a presentation for one of our master classes with Dr. Dan Kalish and he did it on dopamine and while watching the presentation it was another one of those like light bulb moments it's like someone who's deficient in dopamine or has blunted dopamine receptors will have and then this slide came up and i was just looking at the slide i'm like check 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 also leads to drinking um people with low dopamine love alcohol and like feel great when they drink and all this stuff. so a lot of addictions connected with that yeah. Um, so. There's another book about that um, is written by an integrative psychiatrist that you may have heard. Uh, it's called Finally Focused. No, but I'm going to write it down. And the author is James Greenblatt. I'm, I'm really interested now. And I actually want to make it like my focus going forward is working with people that have either adopted or attention issues or depression is yeah. kind of like where I want to go. Because once you spend so much time on yourself, like it only makes sense that you just turn that into something uh, to give, at least to me and to you. Um, So the book's been out four years. Now you're pretty well known in the naturopathic medicine space as a go-to resource for for mental health related stuff with naturopathic medicine. And um, now this is not a replacement, like going with naturopathic medicine and, and with like diet lifestyle things, this is not a replacement for you know, counseling or certain types of therapy or things like that, right? That's right. That's right. It's like the engine of the vehicle, you still need the frame. Like, you know, it's this and that, right? Yeah. Each kind of complements, right? Yeah. Like, I would love it if naturopathic medicine was incorporated as like a primary first line. Okay. Let's start here perhaps and, and start with that. It's more difficult with depression, depending on how depressed somebody is, Mm. because Let's face it, if you don't want to face the day and you don't want to yeah. get out of bed, it's going to be really challenging for me to say to you, okay, now I want you to start exercising and change your diet. Like you're not even cooking, right? Yeah. When I was at my worst a few years ago, like I knew all the things to do. Like I knew the, the nutrition things and the health things and the meditation things and the whatever. And like, if I got out of bed and was reasonably productive for even a little bit of time in that day doing literally anything, uh, it was a win. And I would write up these huge lists of stuff I was supposed to be doing because I knew all the things that would help me feel better. And I was the one writing the list. Like I knew the things and I would never do any of them. Yeah. And then you feel shame and guilt for not doing the things. So like if you give somebody in that situation, like a huge list of things to do and they don't do it, uh, you could be putting gasoline on the, Fire. On the situation. Yeah. So well, the other piece here that I have overlooked is is the support piece. Mm-hmm. So we often need that person. For me, you know, it's it's been my like running partner. And so I would, you know, I have these scheduled dates and I, you know, I won't show up for myself, but I'll show up for her. Right. So that that's important. And we we all need someone. I, I remember this one story. I heard this uh, teenage boy, he was de- depressed and the mom she didn't know what to do. So every day she made a sandwich for her son and she put it by his bed. Sometimes he ate it. Sometimes he didn't. It, it you know, was sort of random. Eventually I, he got better. She felt like she wasn't doing anything, you know, because she didn't know what to do other than making the sandwich. And he told her that that, that was his lifeline was the sandwich. So 
never underestimate the small things that you do to support yeah. somebody. You know, it, it may just be the thing as simple as, as making a sandwich can be for someone. And don't yeah. take it personally if they don't eat the sandwich. <laughs> just make the sandwich, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and people in that state may not be the best at expressing their gratitude or expressing their needs either. And so, um, but those things are always noticed and each one has a little impact for sure. And yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that the value of support, not only for little things like that, but also to have someone to go through, you know, the, yeah. we're both kind of, I don't want to say on the other side, but have been through and kind of come out and kind of manage things and are generally in a better um state state but so you don't see it but like i had a lot of support and the time i've been through two pretty serious episodes and the, the time that i actually opened up and accepted support and was open with people on how i was doing and feeling and whatever um i made it through that one a lot easier mm -hmm. than the time that because a lot of people you shut down like right. you shut down, you don't tell anyone, you keep it to yourself. You're the only one that knows that you're suffering. And um, and I even would like kind of lash out at people if they were like, hey, what's wrong or what's going on? I'd be like, I'm fine, leave me alone, you know, whatever. And so um, lean into the support mm -hmm. um, from Thank people you. around you if you have it. So, um, all right, well, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I wanted to ask. We covered some some big needle movers your own trajectory through school and and working with patients and I guess like the next step I mean what, what ultimately needs to happen is some sort of integration between like a functional medicine naturopathic medicine health nutrition wellness approach with the people on the I'll put it in quotes other side who are doing the therapy and the counseling and these kind of things, like educating them on the importance of a lot of these things too. But I know with some like licensure things, like they're outside their scope because uh, my mother-in-law is a therapist here in California and she started watching all of our stuff years ago. The Megaspore probiotic that we work with uh, took away her lifelong allergies and asthma. And then she got really interested in like all this health stuff. And she started learning all these things that relate to mental health and all this. And she's like, but I can't, make these recommendations to my clients because it's out of the scope of my practice so it's like it almost has to start at like an organizational level of like the governing bodies and the things like that to, but I mean you can steer people towards information but um could could she say that you know it could be beneficial if you consulted in addition to working with me with a with a yeah with a naturopath yeah. with somebody like she just can't be the one who gives the information with a therapist license, at least here in California, because it's not part of their scope of practice. Right. And so I'm seeing the fields really kind of in the last five years or so wake up to the value of each other. And that's kind of what I've been working on building with the other platform that I have is kind of merging the two uh, sides, getting everybody in the same room. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because, exactly. you know, for the naturopathic and for like chronic health conditions that aren't mental health associated necessarily people don't realize that doing the mental health work and the emotional work and that kind of thing can have a real impact on a condition that you don't even think would be related to that and so the more we can get everybody in the same room because healers traditionally in cultures they weren't like the medicine person and the therapist person and the this person like that person was the all of the like they saw it as one thing like it's because it is one thing yeah yeah and so oh, one system right it's one so, system, but we've partitioned it. But I'm sure there's a lot of therapists who have read your book and a lot of counselors who have read your book and, and people on that side that aren't the naturopathic side, they're more on the therapy counseling side. I'm sure it's opened a lot of eyes there um, because everything they're doing will work better if people follow these uh, guidelines as much as possible. I was just going to say one thing that I may have skipped this over. Just recognize that when it comes to everybody as individuals, right, there's the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual and we know what we're talking about is that the physical is often um, divorced from working with the mental, emotional and spiritual. But on that physical side, I just want people to understand that there's a three macro systems in the body. So you've got the neurotransmitters, which is what we've been talking about mostly mm -hmm. like with dopamine, yeah. but you also have your hormones and every single hormone, if there's a deficiency, symptoms can be depression and anxiety. So 
And then the organs of detoxification and, and your immune system, which you touched on when you mentioned the probiotics, there's a huge gut brain relationship. So that's those three macro systems are important to have somebody understand from a root cause, which system or systems are we going to be supporting in the body? And often the go-to is always, oh, neurotransmitters, right? If somebody's depressed, mm. oh, it's always yeah. neurotransmitters. But we want to be mindful of the age of a patient um, because if it's at, for women, you know, the onset of menzies or in their 20s or in their you know, late 40s, early 50s, and even for men too, like anyone who's deficient in testosterone, one of the main symptoms is depression. So just wanted to mention that piece because I, I, I don't think I did that we're always wanting to figure out like what system or systems like, you know, can be more than one thing going on as well, right? Yeah, for sure. And this is really important. If you start medication, for example, and, you know, theoretically you should get better, but if you don't, then there can be explanations for that. So it can be the wrong macro system. There could be something from the environment blocking the receptors. I didn't, we didn't get, you know, I didn't talk about the environmental piece, but I guess what I want to leave people with is just understand and know that there is an explanation for what you're going through. And it may not always be on that physical level. Like in my case, you know, it was partly, I think, to help me realize that this path that I was on wasn't the right path. That's beautiful. And I mean, check out her book. I couldn't recommend it enough for anybody with any sort of mental health challenges. This is, I, I don't even know of another one similar out there. Like it's, it's really well done in, in tying naturopathic medicine to how people are feeling and addresses different systems. And um, links are below. I know your website and everything is below. What's the best way for somebody to get a hold of you directly if they wanted to either... Um, find out more about your book or consult or do any of that type of stuff. Yeah, probably through the website there. Okay. There's a contact form. Okay, great. Yeah, we have everything. We have everything down below in the show notes. I learned a lot. I'm grateful for your time and your story and for everything that we talked about in the last episode that led you to be doing everything that we talked about in this one. Uh, I think it's important for people to realize that you're, you know, everything that you've went through is part of who you are and what you're you're doing. And I try not to like, want to black that part of my life out um, and, and walk away from like shame around it or any of that. Like, it's just something I went through that shaped who I am and uh, I'm grateful for it. So thank you so much. And I look forward, maybe we'll do a, a masterclass or some other type of thing in the future where we get into some details on some of this stuff. Absolutely. I'm here. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Chris. Okay. You're welcome. Take good care. You too. And this brings us to the end of today's episode. Head on over to rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit to access the RHT Quick Start Bundle, which includes four full-length presentations from our RHT masterclasses, two downloadable PDF guides, and a 15% off coupon, which you can use in our retail shop. If you're on Facebook, come join our Rebel Health Tribe group over there. And finally, if you like the show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon.